You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is Deep Tran. And Jose Solis. And we're your token theater friends, people who love theater so much that, you know, we took another break. Uh, I apologize for that. This time it was my fault because I had to go hiking. And you cannot edit a podcast while you're hiking because there is no internet reception. I mean, you should apologize. We already give them enough. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we have plenty of stuff on the website. Jose wrote a beautiful article about an outdoor immersive performance. Couldn't go to the performance inside of migraine. Mm, I know. Sad, sad. I couldn't go to the performance because I was in the woods, like Little Redhead Riding Hood. Or Taylor and yeah. <laughs> What's that cover called? The, like the Out in the Woods or whatever? What's it called? Oh, I think, no, Out of the Woods is one of her songs. Uh-oh, oh. Are we out of the woods? Yeah, are we out of the woods? Yeah, are we out of the woods? Yeah, are we out of the woods? Are we in the clear? Are in we... the clear. We are in the clear because the news that we've been waiting for has finally arrived. Which news? We're going to have a Tony Awards this mm. fall. Yay. Nay. We'll talk about which shows are eligible and not eligible very shortly. And uh, who's our guest for today? Our guest is Daniel K. Isaac, who you might know from his stage work, and also because he's like a famous TV actor on Billions, and he's like, he's so pretty hot, right? We agree on that. Yeah. 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 Uh, and he, you know, we basically shot the shit with Daniel, so we'll see that in a, in a little bit. Yes, but first, first off, we know some people have been messaging Jose saying, you all want us to talk about this? Oh, yeah. So we're going to talk about it. Uh, It was recently announced that the American Theatre Wing and the Broadway League will be presenting the Tony Awards this fall. And because not all of the Tony Award voters were able to see all of the shows that had opened, they made the cutoff date for Tony eligibility February 19th, which, fun fact, is one day before the opening night of West Side Story, directed by Evo Van Hove. Produced by Scott Rudin. Is this a... Is this shade? I like to think it is. Really? Oh, from the Tonys, you mean? Yeah. Oh. Because this year, that means he doesn't have... Scott Rudin doesn't have any Tony-eligible shows. 
Where were these other shows besides that one? How long ago did Tequila Mockingbird open? Was that like three years ago? <laughs> that was three years ago. No, he was, his other than one was going to be uh, Virginia Woolf. Oh. Do you know Which anyone who saw opened. it? It never, it, ne- it didn't even, oh wait, no. It had previews. No, it had, it had preview. It was like mm-hmm. in like the first day of, first week of pre- previews, like right? That. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So how do you feel about us finally getting a Tony Award? Us for what? Ceremony. Oh. Huh? I thought you meant like us. I'm like, <laughs> no. okay, sure. Are we getting awarded? No. <laughs> um, I don't know. I get it months ago said that Broadway was lacking leadership right now and that they're doing it finally out of, you know, like they just, you know, might as well, might as well. Yeah. That's like, uh, it just proves how irrelevant these awards are and how meaningless they actually are, uh, that they were, you know, like forced to happen basically by like public opinion, probably. And like, I don't know, like probably add, no, it's on Zoom, right? Whatever, they're not going to have that guy. It's on Zoom. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's going to be like, presented, Tony's presented by Casper Mattress and Audible and The Great Courses. <laughs> have you ever taken one of The Great Courses? They're actually like, really awesome. But anyway, I don't know. Like, It's just, it feels like a little bit of a joke. Like, I mean, this should have just happened like at some point uh, in this, you know, like earlier, right? Uh, because that whole thing, like, where they're waiting for something to happen, to me, it always felt like just an excuse not to give, like, Adrian Warren and, like, Jeremy O'Harris and Robert O'Hara and, like, all, uh, you know, the uh, specifically black actors and artists who might have won Tonys. Like, I just felt like they just, oh, no, we're, you know, like, they were shoo-in. So they're like, let's wait until the white people are eligible to give them to them. And now you have, like, really, really sad categories where, like, isn't, like, Best Actor in a Musical just, like, Aaron Tveit and the... Danny Burstein. No, the guy, no, because he's featured, right? He's featured. Oh, yeah, yeah he is featured. It's Aaron Tveit and Chris McIron from Percy Jackson. The Lightning <laughs> the Percy Jackson Musical. Who is great. And he should win a Tony. <laughs> No, you brought up a really good point with the whole, like, oh, there's only two people in this category because not a lot of stuff opened because this is how this is how messed up, you know, the Tony Awards are. The reason not a lot of stuff opened is because most producers, they, they, what is it? They, they wait. pile on. Yeah. They pile on all 15 shows to open in March and April. So because apparently Tony voters are old and they can't remember things they saw like six months ago and they want it to be fresh in the Tony voters mind. So they they programmed 15 shows in March and April, which meant because Broadway closed on March 12th. 15 shows did not get to open. And so the categories for everything this year is really small. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're unlucky enough to have opened in the fall, most of the time people won't remember. You don't get recognized because people won't remember having seen you because it's so long ago. Bullshit. Uh, but it's yeah. the same for like all the awards, like the Oscars, the Golden Globes. Like it's the same nonsense. Um, but actually, and I'm not being like, you know, I genuinely, have I ever talked about this on a show? Like I genuinely love The Lightning Thief, Percy Jackson musical. And it is the only 
uh, book, I think. No, like the only score eligible from a musical. So if it's the only one, give it to Tony. Because remember how like I was so angry like uh, that show closed so early and like I wanted like more kids to get to see it. Like I love that show. Did you ever see it in any incarnation? No, I, I never got to see it. I feel feel like it was one of those things where oh, I'm not per- a Percy Jackson fan. It's not in my demographic. Am I a Percy Jackson fan? No, no, um, no. That it's not in your dem- But you are a musical fan. You are a much bigger fan of musicals than I am. Right. That's a good point. Uh, are those pre Harry Potter? No, everything's post Harry Potter, right? Everything's post Harry Potter. All right. All right. <laughs> Except Lord of the Rings. Yeah, that's like pre. Like pre, 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 pre. Exactly. Exactly. J.R. Tolkien's not on Twitter, you know, talking about how he hates trans people. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that? No. Oh, my God. Yeah, I tweeted about how it would be so awkward if Harry Potter was still on Broadway because then we'd have to have the conversation about, should we be support giving J.K. Rowling money? I mean, she already has, like, all the money in the world. She's going to be like, yeah. yeah. Wait. For a second, I had a brain fart, and I was like, why isn't Harry Potter on Broadway? So there's no freaking Broadway, so... Uh, anyway, uh, but you had a good point, because what I'm thinking, what, I, what I wish they would do, and they probably will not do, is not do categories. Because when I was a judge on the Obie Awards, the fun thing about the Obie Awards is it's kind of like your high school yearbook, where people pick, like, the, they make up the categories, and they pick the person that best reflects the categories. You know, in high school, I was voted most likely to succeed by my peers. Meanwhile, my senior class, we all hated each other so much that we didn't have a yearbook or a prom. <laughs> <gasps> oh my goodness. It's, a, it's like high school seems so sad in, in Honduras. <laughs> I mean, it's teenagers. Like, you know, like teenagers have drama. It was I like, know, but not have a prom. It was like too I mean, I know you're not American. I know you're not American, and proms are a very American thing, but you should always have a party at the oh, end I mean, of the year. Because we always, like, I went to an American school, so we had summer vacations, like, when it wasn't really summer. It was, like, a ton of bullshit also. Anyway, back okay. to the Tonys. Um, yeah, but I don't think they should do categories. I think they really should just give it to the people who they think did a good job this year. So it's not comp- you're not. So it's it seems like bad taste to have people be competing with each other now since we're in a pandemic and you don't want to like knock other people down and make them you know campaign for their award because it seems like in bad taste considering you know we were trying to fight fa- fascism. I yeah. mean, the Oscars were happening during World War Two. Uh, I don't know, because I'm thinking so much about how sad it was in, like, 1995, where uh, Rebecca Luker and Glenn Close were the only nominees for Best Actress in a Musical, and Rebecca Luker knew she was not going to win. So having to sit there with, like, you know, like, the camera and, like, the big square, and you're like, I mean, Glenn Close is going to win this, and there's nothing I can do, and you still have to show up. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't know. It's like tacky, but also, yeah. Uh, no, it's tacky in every way. Yeah, it, making people compete right now is tacky. Yeah, I mean, yeah making people compete like, I don't know what time is kind of tacky. Just give Tonys to everyone. Yeah. Like at the, at the end of Mean Girls, you know, you take the Tony Award apart and just throw it <laughs> out. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine the poor person who gets like the bass? Like, like shit, it's super heavy. <laughs> <laughs> You get a Tony and a concussion. 
Yeah. Hey, things last. Things that last forever. You know. Yeah, I mean, I do hope that Jeremy O'Hara wins, and with this, no, there were a lot of plays. Yeah, but I think it's between slave play and the Don't inheritance. I think it Don't. was always going to be no. between the two of those. I'm sorry. Don't say that word. I cannot believe the that thing has gone on for so long. Like, I thought it once it was gone, it was gone, and keep showing up. You never forget it. It was seven hours. It'll stay in your mind forever because it no. was seven hours. That explains my. It's brain. in your life. It's in your bones. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I saw slave play like. Combine more than no, not, not even. I would have to see watch like to go see it like five times or anything. No, I don't like that. Uh, you like? Why know what I really wish the ceremony will do this year? I really wish that, and I tweeted about this. I like. I really wish that Broadway producers and the Broadway League will like pool money together in order to help out theater artists who are out of work because everyone's out of work right now and even if you were okay five months ago when things shut down not a lot of people you know the average person in america only has four hundred dollars worth of savings and like not everyone is able to live off of their savings for this long unemployment and so and who knows when they say it may come back in march 2021 but there's no guarantees either so like where's where is the gigantic pool of money from like the nederlanders or drew jameson because I we know they give a shit ton of money to political candidates, but why are they not giving that money to Broadway technicians and front of house and the people who work in the industry? Sure. I know. <laughs> yeah, but that's why I wish. I wish. I wish it be be about like, hey, theater is uh, not in a good place right now. Please give money. We are honoring this art form tonight. We're not competing. These are the people we love, and this is how you can give money to the people you love. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I love them that much. I mean, they're just certain employees. I mean, Jeff Bezos wouldn't give, like, his employees, like, you know, like, overtime and, like, vacation time. And, like, he made, like, eight, he's made $80 billion during the pandemic, which is, like, fucking immoral. So, I mean, I'm actually sometimes, like, very grateful that I'm poor. Because then I'm, like, it means I can be a good person. <laughs> Yeah, but that's just, that's a shitty thing. I feel like most of the people who, you know, who support us or who, like, give to, like, these different, you know, donor drives are, like, the people who are within a similar income bracket. They're not, like, the really? Scott Rudin of, you know. <laughs> you know, it's, like, I feel like the most generous people in society generally are, like, actually, like, people, mill, lower, mill income people. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I get it. I get it. I get it. I thought you were saying, like, Broadway producers were, like, investing in us, which, like... No, 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 no. No. Well, technically, some of our Patreon subscribers... Oh. They give $10. Oh, thank you so much to everyone. <laughs> uh, no. Uh, it, hmm. Yeah, you're right about that. Like, because I was talking recently about how people often give what, uh, you know, what costs them, like, the least, like, you know, like, people, if it, like, I, I don't know, I think that if it, if you lack something, that's what you should be giving, so, I mean, give it a buck, um, makes a difference, so anyway, now I'm talking about, like, money, and, like, giving and stuff, uh, but what about the Tonys, how can we wrap the Tonys up, like, who would you like to see, like, win? I don't care. 
Does any of it matter anymore? Yeah. I'm just in it for okay, two people. I'm just in it. Actually, three people. I'm in it for Adrian Warren to win to get her Tony for playing Tina Turner, and I'm in it for Jeremy O'Hara to get his Tony for Slave Play, and Rob O'Hara to get his Tony for directing Slave Play. Who would be like this uh, actress in play? Because I would love it if if Joaquina. Uh, uh, oh yes, yeah. yes, or um, Jane. Um, Jane Alexander. Jane Alexander for... Um, of the minivan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What's it called? Grand Horizons. Grand Horizons, yeah. yeah. I mean, technically this means that Audra can make it. No, that's... No, I'm kidding. Oh my... Remember that? Pl- remember that? <laughs> I love that play, so I wouldn't mind Audra winning something for it. Um, the only thing I remember about that play is her having sex with... Um, Michael Shannon? With, with, with Michael Shannon at the top. That 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 was that was about it. Yeah. Now that's in my bones. Thank you. <laughs> Sexy Michael Shannon. Didn't think you'd ever see that, right? I mean, I mean, you don't know my yeah. type. But anyway, uh, and I'm dreading having to like celebrate Moulin Rouge because you know I was really Six was such a better musical, and I was just really looking forward to this year's Tony Awards and being able to honor Six. But we're not going to get to do that. It's probably going to be Moulin Rouge, which is just. Broadway mediocrity on a budget. I mean, I guess Aaron Tveit now is never going to be on a show. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I hope Chris McCarran wins, and you're like, garbage. Garbage. I mean, but we love loud you. garbage. But we love you, Karen Olivo. Yeah, yes, we love Karen Olivo. You know what I dislike the most about the Tonys happening? That they mm-hmm. make 2020 feel even longer for some reason, because they were supposed to happen in June. And now when they happen in the fall, I'm sure I'm going to have some sort of like, are we back in June? Yeah. And when is it going to happen? There's no date yet. Like, if it happens before the election, it feels like it's drawing attention away from something that's really important, which is the election. But then if it happens after the election, depending on how the election goes, we may or may not be in a good place to want to watch it. Girl, I mean... How much? Pe- how many people do you think watch the Tonys? It's never going to take attention from you. Yeah. But it may. People are at home now. A lot, a lot of people watch the DNC. And, fun fact, the people who produce the Democratic National Convention are the same people who, pro- who are producing the Tony Awards. Ooh, Eva Longoria is host. <laughs> <laughs> Julie Louis-Dreyfus, come host. You can make more Trump jokes. I'll listen to all of them. Oh, my God. The only thing worse than the Tonys happening, you know, at all... Which, I mean, I want the people that we love to have awards, but the only thing worse would be if the DNC producers made the Tonys like a week-long thing. Can you imagine that? But wouldn't it be fun if, like, I I heard one of the actors in Inheritance is, like, taking a road trip, and he's, like, in the National Park somewhere giving acting lessons. So wouldn't it be fun if he had, they made the made speeches, like, out in, like, the grand vistas of, you know, the the Rocky Mountains or something? (laughs) I like, I'm that. in my parents' house in Dayton. <laughs> I mean, I would watch that. But I only, you know, like, what's so sad about those uh, Zoom awards is that no one, like, dresses up. Oh, no, I'm really hoping, you know, people, I- I'm hoping people wash their hair and put, put a full bean on for this. I mean, they won't. Like, two of the world's greatest injustices so far have been in 2007 when there was the, uh, writer's strike in Hollywood 
and there were no Golden Globes, and Kate Blanchett won a Golden Globe that year. And it was a press conference. No dress. And then this year, when she wins the Emmy for Mrs. America, Zoom Emmys. No dress. So... Oh my god, what else are I gonna take from us, Lord? I know. Well if, if even if there's a dress, you'll only see like the top half. Mm, <laughs> no one's do, panning. Oh do they still do that E Manny Cam? <laughs> send everyone send everyone like a multi camera setup. It's like we need every shot of your outfit right now. Oh I I mean they should. That, that's more important than the winners in the end. So anyway. Wow, I really don't wanna watch a Tony, so let's move on. I still will because, you know, I still, You'll have like Daniel K. Do. Isaac, you know, I, I need to continue to feel the connection to this art form, <laughs> even if it shows I saw a million years ago. Yeah, that you didn't like, I didn't love anything that much of the eligible things. Did I, I mean, besides Slave Play? Percy Jackson. You loved Percy Jackson. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, at least I have a horse in each race. Yeah. Oh, and Girl from the North Country is not eligible either, so that'll make you happy. I mean, I saw it twice. Like, nothing about that show is going to make me happy anymore. <laughs> Knowing it's not eligible, and you might have to watch it again when Broadway reopens. Uh, I mean... <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm getting ready. I'm getting settled for a long winter sleep over here. Like, you know, like, oh my god, my doctor told me that back in October we're going to be back in uh, lockdown, probably. Yeah, yeah. Second wave, you know. Yeah. But remember to get your flu shot. Already? Well, yeah, they're, they're starting to come out. Oh, God. I mean, so lockdown and the Tonys in October. No wonder we're going to have to watch them. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's either that or like 24-hour political coverage, you know? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> it's like, again, lesser of two evils. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I hope people dress up. Or at the very least, wash your hair. Yeah. Get drunk Have your speeches ready. Yeah, yeah. I hope people are drunk. And uh, I hope people show us uh, where you're staying. You know, give us a Cribs tour. Yeah, yeah. And the mannequin. And speaking mm-hmm. of drunk mannequins, <laughs> I wish. Uh, let's go talk to Daniel K. Isaac. Basically, we shot the shed with him, right? Like, that's what you call this episode. And that's what it should be. Like, the official name. Shooting, Shooting the, the shed. shed. Yeah. Featuring Dan- Daniel K. Isaac. Yeah. He was so much fun. Oh yeah, I when, and I I realized he li- he and I live in the same neighborhood. So whenever he gets back from DC, we're gonna hang, socially distance hang. And like also our guests, our next week's episode, the in your neighborhood, right? Yeah. You're gonna have to tune in to find out who they are. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, exactly, and to, and to find out where Deep lives. <laughs> it's somewhere in Queens. <laughs> I'm sure you've said it before. But anyway, uh, let's go talk to Daniel. And I hope you enjoyed this as much as we did, because we also were having cocktails. Hi, Daniel. Welcome to our show. We're so happy to have you here. How's how's it going with you? Good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I've been listening to you guys all 10, is it? Nine or 10 episodes that are out on the new platform. Thank you for, for remembering to resubscribe. So, Daniel, before everything went to hell, when the pandemic started, you were in the midst of shooting, what is it, season five? Season five, yeah. Of we billions. Were yeah. What happened? Like, do you remember what happened when they were like, no more episodes? 
Yeah. We, um, we were just starting episode eight of our 12-episode season five. And um, I want to say I shot on that Tuesday, March 10th. And already by then, it felt like things were um, going to be closing down or pausing for some time. And we had actually built in a week-long spring, spring break for the following week. And so the producers made the executive decision of, we'll just make your spring break two weeks instead of one. And then um, it ramped up. So on that Thursday, the 12th, we shut down for good. And I was also doing a reading by uh, of a playwright by um, Dan Giles at Ensemble Studio Theater. And so we were also rehearsing every day, wondering, is this the last day we get to rehearse? Will we make it to our one day of performances on the weekend? And of course, we did not. And so that was a, a, a scary feeling that, you know, now we've just gone through four and a half months of. But the producer said, you know, we'll see after two weeks. And after two weeks, they said, let we'll assess the situation. Everyone stay in touch. And um, we're just texting each other and, you know, social media loving one another while we wait and see. What's yeah, Paul Giamatti's I, favorite emoji? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I don't think I've ever received an emoji from Paul Giamatti. So. That sounds on brand, but I, I actually, so, so I don't know that much about, about like what a Hollywood production schedule is, is like, or what, what back, what vaccine is like a hundred percent. But I, I heard that you can start filming like you can start filming again in New York city at least. And so have you been getting news about like when it might ramp up again for you? You know, I've taken, so yes, uh, Cuomo, I believe, allowed it in phase four starting at July 20th, I believe. And so filming has resumed. And I think, you know, my friend group who loves Drag Race assumes Drag Race 13 is filming right now. And um, I have other friends saying they're locked in hotel rooms um, at quarantining, waiting to test. And so I know it's happening, but for our show... I haven't heard anything, and the approach I've personally taken, I don't want to be the kid in the backseat of the car saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? So I'm just asking no questions and just waiting, and I'll be pleasantly surprised when, um, when something happens. Around the time that we first started talking about the idea of having you as a guest, you didn't, you know, we weren't even thinking about a specific project of yours to talk about. And then, like, we keep getting, like, press releases for, like, so many things, and you are in everything. So how did you go from this, like, okay, we're going into a two-week break, maybe, into mm -hmm. you being in every podcast and, like, <laughs> every... It really is, you know, um, to reference your own episodes, Raul, as far as I saying how it feels like we can work as an actor again when we have these little projects, it has helps keep me sane to know I have this little thing. I have this Zoom workshop with Page 73. I have a week-long thing with Ensemble Studio. I have um, projects in development with My E-Theater. It makes me feel like the industry isn't, I know how much you hate hearing it's on pause or it's um, dead in the water right now. I've heard this recurring theme in your episode. <laughs> I feel called out right now. 
No, but it was very good because I kept, you know, I kept posting like, I miss theater. Um, I miss the business. I hate that we're on pause. I hate that, you know, we're halted right now. And then I would hear your voices saying, the industry is not on pause. It is figuring itself out in new platforms and new stories and new methodologies. And how about we celebrate that and actively seek it out and review that and um, praise it. And so that's helped me a lot with my grief of not sitting in the dark with a group of strangers coughing and on their phones while a piece of theater happens in front of me live and um, and to seek out the other opportunities instead and celebrate the my own um, opportunities I've been invited to. But I mean, you can still set up like a Zoom call and have people cuff while you watch something. That's like perfectly, you know, magical, I think. Like you can arrange right. that. But, uh, you know, can you can you run us through like some of the projects that you've done? Because it's difficult to catch up with you, to, to oh, keep sure. up with you these days. The ones that you can talk about, let us know so everyone can go find them. Oh, sure. Um, the first one I believe I did was one of the 24-hour plays, Viral Monologues. And it was very early on. And I think I agreed to do it before I was in a, a mental place where I could memorize a monologue in less than seven hours and give a decent performance. And I went, I kid you not, I went crazy trying to do the best job I could for something that I thought would live online forever and be taken so seriously and was sort of like, I'm still an actor even though there's a pandemic happening. And I, I put so much pressure on myself. So I wouldn't say look for that monologue, but it's out there and I'm wearing a panda vest for no reason. So. And then I, I just recently did my second monologue in the pandemic, which I'm, I'm sure certain actors have done so many monologues, but my new one is by Sylvia Corey for the Homebound Theater Project. And every dollar raised goes, goes to No Kid Hungry. And they've raised over $100,000. And in this fifth edition, every dollar is matched to make it up to $20,000 matched, which is just amazing. Um, what else? Uh, I did a workshop for Dan Giles of his play, Mike Pence Sex Dream, which is just the most amazing title ever. We did a, a virtual workshop of that, and I hope it continues on. Um, and um, I did one of the Pride play readings. I thought that I really love the Pride plays, and I got to participate last year, too. And I just think what they're doing and giving LGBTQ plus voices this much attention and their own festival feels amazing because I, I always think it's weird that we as New York City don't have an LGBTQ plus theater company like About Face in Chicago or Diversionary in San Diego. And I would really wish that to be the case. So this festival feels like a step in that direction. Yeah. Well, we've noticed that you're part of a book club and, and I, I know you're also a playwright. So have you been taking this time to like get back into that part of your brain, the writing part? Totally. I, I am in a long list of um, emerging playwrights whose first pieces were uh, canceled or postponed because of the pandemic. But um, I did recently get to announce that the National Endowment of the Arts had supported this untitled gay sex and conversion therapy play of mine directed by Ralph B. Pena, who's the artistic director of Mai Theater Company. And so while our production is postponed indefinitely, I am very grateful that we've done a workshop and have pending workshops of that as well as um, Mai has turned around 
incredibly fast and said, how do we employ artists? How do we give work to actors and writers and designers in this time? Because it's certainly not going to be in an indoor theater. And they created Mai Studios, which I just, I'm so in awe of how fast they've moved and how they're literally putting money where their mouth is. And I personally have been sustained by Mai funds over this summer as they've commissioned work from me and I'm sure a slew of other artists of um, creating, I don't know what to call it, but digital plays or storytelling for this medium that is maybe just a little bit more um, elevated than Zoom or what the what the technology of Zoom is able to do. And so I'm cautiously optimistic about that future. And, um, and I've also been turning all of my plays into pilots or screenplays because uh, it's a good exercise. I should have that portfolio and I don't. I stubbornly wanted to just be a playwright, but um, I think the industry of theater can't safely return live until we are post-vaccine. And so I I have a little more faith in TV and film potentially being able to bounce back in small incremental ways. Um, and I, I'd love to see storytelling um, that I write come alive there in this time and not think that I just have to wait um, for however many years before theater resumes. So... Right, because it's not paused. Remember, we're going to quiz you at the end, Daniel, to see if you have been listening to right. all the episodes for real. Right. Uh, and also, like, you should totally, like, take over and replace one of us, like, when one of us is sick. We're naming you, like, the official, <laughs> you know, extra TTF. Teacher? Yeah. But, you know, <laughs> but from all these things that are keeping you, like, you know, cautiously optimistic, what are some things that you really love that you want to bring into this new world if we ever are allowed to leave the house again? Yeah, I um, my first thought was uh, equity and access as far as price is concerned. And so I feel like so much of um, the archives of theater or even the new pieces have been allowed to be seen across the country and the world for zero to you know x amount of less dollars than actually sitting in a theater and i wish that kind of access could always be available um for anyone to be able to see it and i i i don't know how but i hope that that practice and those statistics exist somewhere that people who normally wouldn't get to see hamilton as the extreme example got to see it what does that age demographic look like? What does the color of their skin and where are they in the world getting to see that versus the, the rich tri-state area that got to see it or the people who flew in on their private jets and got to see it on Broadway. Um, and I'd also love to see, I think there's an immediacy to storytelling happening now Whereas I always remember this joke that Taylor Mack made in the 24-hour plays about how um, you come up with the idea of a play, you write said play, and then you workshop it, or you have a reading, and then you have a workshop, and then you have an out-of-town tryout to have another producer's reading, to have another in-town workshop, and then the off-Broadway run, and then maybe the Broadway run, and 
now seven or 10 or 15 years have passed since the initial insemination of the idea of the project. And what does that do to the life that you were trying to breathe in there or the question you were posing, posing there? And is that relevant by the time the machinations of theater and the, the hoops you have to jump through are done and it gets to be seen by the audience that maybe isn't even alive or is aged out of the generation it was trying to speak to or all of those factors. I'm so excited by here's a story, someone's written it, someone's acted and produced it, and here it is online. And as much as I miss, say, like high editing quality or um, reliable internet speeds in the midst of this, I'm so glad that stories are being told um, and that they feel a, a little more urgent. Not saying I want pandemic-themed storytelling for From Here to Kingdom Come, but I, um, I am excited by any stories that feel alive and of the now that wouldn't have gotten this opportunity. Since we have all been trapped at home uh, for over 100 days now, like what is it, like 150 days or something like that now, I am about to try out knitting for the first time, which is like bonkers. So I wonder what's like the, the nerdiest, like, you know, like project at home that you've taken on, Daniel, during this really, really strange summer. The nerdiest project I've taken on is um, is organizing all of my playbills and scripts and papers. And I bought a second four drawer filing cabinet so that I could um, fully put them in dividers and uh, mark the years. And I even got those extra wide files versus the regular size green files that hang. Um, that is that is my organized hoarding and a, a little bit about me that you might not have known. But um, in doing so, I, I got to pull out some fun old playbills that I thought we could walk down memory lane. And since it's my, it's almost my 11 year anniversary in New York, but I have playbills from 2009 forward to try to play with or sh show and tell with you guys. Do it, but wait, how many playbills are we talking about that you currently own? Are we talking like the thousands? Oh, okay. So I know that I own 25 full playbill binders, and um, and I think they fit like 30 of or so in there. And then like I have files um, oh. marking each year with non-playbill sized playbills, um, and that takes up an How did you afford to go to all those shows? Um, <laughs> I learn every year that I do taxes that I don't I don't spend my money on clothes as much as I think I do, on eating out as much as I think I do, or traveling. I really should travel with this money is what I've learned. Um, and maybe I should have invested and, you know, bought property or something. I really spend all my money on tickets. And, you know, the IRS has audited me, audited me so many times before I could afford a professional accountant because I think they look at <laughs> how much research money I spend on tickets. But I, I do. And every time they audited me, all I did was scan my um, ticket stubs <laughs> or like receipts to say, no, no, I have proof. And yes, I did go to all these shows. And one year I was feeling a little petty and bored. 
that I just started to like talk about the things I spent money on for the auditor to have fun reading about. Um, and I, I got my money back that year. So it's still, I've contested it every time. Someone should build like a statue of you like in the middle of Times Square. It's like, you know, the man is like single-handedly keeping theater alive. Well, I mean, I love my discounts. When I was younger, I would do the you know, <laughs> early morning lineups. I love TDF is so great. And, you know, I'll, I love a good comp. Although once I made, a, you know, once I could sustain myself as an artist, I try to not use comps and put money back into companies because I, I don't know if this is 100% true, but I don't think any theater show makes its money back on ticket sales, like in an off-Broadway yeah. version, right? I think it's all... It, it requires, not even Broadway shows sometimes. Yeah, like, like museums don't exist on ticket sales. They exist on the like huge donors that fund it and government support and et cetera, right? So I try to do what little I can and at least buy the ticket for, especially the off-Broadway companies that I really care about you know, employ my friends or people who look like me, so. Okay, show us your favorites. I cannot wait. Okay, they're, they're in the order of years. So I guess I pulled this out from 2009, 2010. This is David Cromer's Our Town. And um, that was at Barrow Street. And I know I just brought up the whitest example ever, even though I'm talking to <laughs> brag about inclusivity and um, diverse storytelling. But um, this one meant a lot to me because I, I loved seeing David Cromer on stage and this show, and then I got to work with him on Billions. And I thought that that's one of those, if you work in this industry long enough, um, things happen that you would never expect. And, and that's a huge piece of gratitude that like, um, you know, A Band's Visit was one of my favorite shows of that season. And, and he directed that, you know, like he, um, I think he's incredible and just like a wonderful, fun human being. Brief Encounter, that was at St. Anne's Warehouse, um, <laughs> transferred to Broadway. It had one of the coolest effects where you were watching the movie version within the show and then the actors would step out of the movie curtain and it was timed perfectly so that their bodies moved out of the curtain when they were leaving the screen. Little things like that blew my mind. Yeah. Oh, I, that, that's one of like the first shows I paid money for in New York when yes. I moved here. And well and, worth a dollar. And that was one of those mm-hmm. first shows that I think Damon Dono, who we love, was in. Yeah. Yeah. He was, you know, Curly from the New Oklahoma. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that Oklahoma. Um, okay, this is 09 um, Circle Mirror Transformation, Annie Baker's play. Ooh. I knew nothing about it going in, and I just, it reinvigorated my love of uh, new play storytelling, and, um, and that intimate space in Playwrights Horizons is my favorite, and often where the people of color are relegated to as well, but... Um, also my favorite for its intimacy. And I got to act in there doing a play by Kyung Park, directed by Carlos Armesto, called Disoriented back in 2010 or 2011. So I'll always have a soft spot for that theater, as much as my bucket list is to work in the bigger theater downstairs as a political statement. This is from the 2012-2013 season. Um, NATCO, National Asian, Asian American Theater Company, did Awake and Sing with an all- Asian-American cast, and um, 
I had studied Odette's in undergrad, and I never thought I could see myself in an Odette's play. And yet I love Odette's language so much. And the same goes for Tennessee Williams. And so to see a company whose mission was to take classics and put Asian bodies in them meant so much to me. And I hope and know that they'll continue to do it. And, it, and that one um, meant a lot. And it's full of friends that I, I just love. Okay, speaking of like old programs that you would save deep, this one's the um, Great Comet when it was at Ars Nova. Oh, wow, you were there from the beginning. Uh, I wasn't even there then. I, I didn't even know what I was going to see. I think my friend Kate Yu, maybe, a playwright, took me saying like, this is supposed to be good. Um, and the night we went, I feel like Sondheim was sitting at another table. I'm, I don't think I'm making that up. I just remember thinking, oh, wow, he's here. That's a big deal. Um, and, and the intimacy of it, you know, while they did an incredible job of transferring that to Broadway, um, also because I only sat on stage whenever I saw it on Broadway, um, I do, I will always treasure the feeling of, um, they did this simple gesture of, you know, when you swirl your finger on a water glass and there's that sound, when 20 ensemble mates are doing that at the same time, that, like, Goosebumps doesn't even capture what that feels like. And I, I think I'll always remember that moment and um, how special that was. Okay, I've made it to 2014. I'm trying to go along. Um, New York Theater Workshop, Scenes from a Marriage. Mia Katigbak, uh, Rosalind Ruff, who uh, was the last performer I saw in Help before we shut down. That was my last um, performance I'd, I'd gotten the privilege to see. Um, yeah, Susanna Flood, Tina Benko, just Alex Hurt. This cast was amazing. And um, did you get to see Scenes from a Marriage, either of you? They imagine New York Theater Workshop where um, they divided it into three rooms and you traveled between the three rooms for the first half of the play. And then at intermission, they lifted the walls of the rooms and you realized that the audience was set in a circle. So the audience encircled the entire space and then the last act was done in the round that way. Just amazing. And that like, um, that Mia Katikbak could be a white bodied person's mother. Um, and, and Rosalind Ruff and Alex Hurd are in an interracial relationship, to me, does more to the story than um, just seeing white bodies on stage, or what I imagine. I haven't seen the movie, but I, I think it's a majority white cast there. So, um, yeah. yeah, so um, I appreciated that. You can stop me whenever if this is boring. This is so adorable. <laughs> I feel like... Even though you're, like, younger than me, I feel like this is, like, Auntie Daniel <laughs> telling me about her this adventures is... in theater. I am, like... You may be, like, wrong. the nerdiest person we've ever had. I'll uh, take it. And, like, maybe nerdier than us, even. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I do want to ask you. I do want to ask you. I'm going to cut you off, but I'm just wondering, like, when did you realize, like, you were a nerd for this stuff? Because you, you grew up in Orange County like I did, and there wasn't exactly theater in Orange County. <laughs> I will credit my mom, my single mom, whom I have many issues with as far as like 
religion and politics are concerned. But um, my mom would do this thing every weekend where she opened the LA Times to the culture section to see what was available, especially what was free that was available. Mm -hmm. And when I was growing up, she worked at a bank that got a lot of comp tickets because um, her building was in downtown LA. Um, Les Mis was my first musical. Um, I saw Spelling Bee in San Diego when I was in college and Sarah Stiles was touring there and she's on Billions now and um, was just in Tootsie and that just, <laughs> Billions has been my biggest like uh, Venn diagram overlapper in life <laughs> because it employs the most amazing theater actors. Oh, but to answer your question, Deep, I studied abroad for a London, uh, for a year in London and um, I took out a shit ton of loans and, um, and I used them to buy theater tickets. And I will credit that London has amazingly affordable ticket prices for students. I didn't party. I never got laid in London. I could not get a date to save my life there. I hated being called Oriental. And I believe I saved all those playbills, but they're in storage in California somewhere. And I, I kept that nerddom and, and I moved to the city and I just try to see as much as I could, as much as I could afford, as much as I could rush to. It feels like an inspiration. It feels like an education. And um, I like to be reminded of why I live in this city that is not a forgiving city at times and can be very challenging and difficult. But if I go to the Museum of Modern Art and, and then I can like go see a play and then go for drinks with friends, I'm reminded of, I, I didn't even take a subway to do all those three things that people save up all year to fly here to do, or it's their one high school trip of the year that they get to go outside of their hometowns, and my hometown has all of it in my backyard, and I get to, like, it's an excuse to hang out with friends who are on stage and then drink with them after. Okay, um, now we're all going to cry. Uh, yeah, well, this is the part of live theater that I miss, and that that's there's nothing like that. Like, like deep. The last time I saw you was at, um, an, it was one of the upstairs shows at Playwrights Horizons, and I can't remember the name of it at this moment. But um, I remember you sat like a row in front of me, and I thought, oh, deep's here, and um, I would ask her out to, for a drink. But I know she's cautiously introverted, and so I'll I'll wait till we're closer friends to ask her. <laughs> Daniel, no one knows I'm introverted. This is so, this is so amazing. I feel so seen. <laughs> well, like Jose, I saw you at second stage, <laughs> that show where the U-Haul went through the wall, right? At, uh, yeah, at... Uh... Grand Horizon, yeah. Yes. Is an, an amazing effect of a U-Haul crashing through a wall. Hands down, amazing design there. Um, yeah, and th those are like... And I count you guys as friends and colleagues now even more so. And um, like my memory of that show is heightened by my memory of seeing you guys there and how we do that in theater lobbies at intermissions in line for the bathroom or crowding around at the stage door after. And so um, there's nothing like that. This is so beautiful. Like I'm, I'm like, I, know. I, don't, know if it's the mar I don't know if it's the margarita or the heat. <laughs> or everything, but like, you're making me think that for you, you know, like one of the things that people often talk about when it comes to theater is that 
it's so ephemeral, right? And we see the performance and then it's gone. Uh, but what you're talking about is making me think of all your programs that you have saved for over a decade, almost as like, you're like snow globes, where like you can grab them and like shake them. And then also you have like an impressive memory, by the way. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 They are, they're time capsules. And so um, I could never Marie Kondo them, even if I didn't necessarily like the show, because um, they're part of the, that chapter or that year or that experience and um, those seasons inform each other. And, and like, as I went through these old playbills to see names of actors that I didn't know then and that now I've done a show with or a reading with or a TV show with, um, just is a testament to the like marathon that is our industry and the rewards that happen when you see it as a marathon and not a sprint. And I, I find that so rewarding. Um, and, and I guess like theater is my, my church now. It is my community. It is um, as much as, you know, we are in a moment of reckoning and accountability and um, tear it all down and rebuild it for the better uh, state of evolution, I, I will always love this industry and and I think that's why I passionately fight for um, the changes that I believe can happen in this moment. Um, and I'll remain cautiously optimistic there that we'll see a real change so that my playbills aren't evolving from just all white casts to more inclusive casts, but that they'll all be inclusive and, um, and just diverse, diverse storytelling and just colorful and all sorts of bodies and identities represented on stage. And um, I think that's why I write to, to try to include that myself or actualize that world for myself. And Okay, if anyone from the government is watching or listening to this, now you need to find a vaccine just so this man can have more programs <laughs> to add to his collection. Because this is like incredible. You may be miss being outside again, which is, hmm. yeah. 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 Thank you, Daniel. Can, can I ask you something? Yeah, please, anything. Yeah, yeah. Can I, can I ask you something about, can I ask you something about your mom? Because I, I, I'm in Facebook groups with other APIs trying, yeah. to, trying to figure out how to talk to their parents about this moment right now. And so what have you, over the years, you know, you and your mother have disagreed about your sexuality. And yeah. so like, what, what have, like, what have been some tactics you've taken from those discussions that, that maybe other people can apply when they're talking to parents. I will represent the side that I guess is not the happy ending where um, my mother and I lived through the LA riots and my aunt had a liquor store and my biological father had a car dealership, like a small, tiny car dealership. And um, while neither were completely destroyed, our neighbors are church members, our colleagues' um, properties were damaged or irrevocably um, taken away from them. And that trauma has lived in my mom. Um, and so she, it has been very difficult to talk about Black Lives Matter and about these protests, um, violent or nonviolent. And I my mother has been the greatest example and I think um, 
an illumination that might have occurred after our election in 2016 is how social media um, is a bubble or uh, echoes what you want to see and mirrors what you want to hear and um, and whatever those algorithms are are not necessarily exposing you to what other people may firmly believe is their truth and my mother has always been the barometer for me of knowing um, what is what is very hard for me to navigate is that that which is absurd and untrue uh, fabrication or a lie that comes out of Trump's mouth or that comes out of his uh, cabinet gets disseminated in Fox News or conservative news outlets and then somehow gets translated into Korean. And my mother listens to that, reads that, and devours it as truth and fully parrots that which Trump says or believes, like she'll say fake news in Korean, she'll say make America great again, she'll parrot these things that I find such um, heartbreak and feelings of contradiction in the fact that she is a cis woman, an immigrant, and a single parent, and she'll say, well, I worked harder, and and she'll be um, spouting the model minority myth uh, and putting down other immigrants, even though, like I recently learned, she came here because she was engaged to a man who was recently divorced, and, and that engagement might have helped her got, get her citizenship. So I, I call hypocrisy where I see it. Uh, she has this trauma from the L.A. riots, which is rightfully so. But the way she posts every video possible of black bodies looting places, and yet mm. what I try to do is continue to engage and humanize and try to find points of empathy, not to diminish the black-bodied experience in America, but to talk about how she herself had to work so much harder as an Asian body, as an immigrant, as a cis female in a world that was white, patriarchally structured, cis male favored, and um, uh, non-immigrant, you know, nepotism favored. And, and if I can... If I catch her on a good day, we can rationally talk about this. And I got to talk to her about it when the um, Black Lives Matter protests were very high in numbers and enacting curfews in L.A. I had gone to visit my mother and uh, see her in the backyard and um, not stay with her, but, you know, wear a mask and try to touch base with her. And she would say, um, you know, when I was younger, I took you to the Martin Luther King Jr. parade so that you knew what the black-bodied experience was in America. We owe them as immigrants and for opening doors and allowing us to have rights that we didn't have, and it is on their bodies that we do have them, on their blood that we do have them. And she can say that and beautifully mean it and also turn around and that same evening post a video of black bodies looting some small business. And, and that contradiction exists in her and all like I try like I've tried commenting on every single one of those I've tried reporting it to Facebook to to get the like original scene of it deleted 
I, I know my mother's password, so I could be as petty as to delete it myself, but <laughs> I will, you know, and, and my purpose is like, don't, I gave my mother a credit card to like support her a, a year or two ago. And he's always like, you could revoke her credit card and you could take her car away and, and like try to do these things that would be much harsher. Um, but in the same way, I imagine parents let their children go to formulate their own beliefs. And, and while I question the validity of truth, and while we live on opposite sides of a liberal conservative binary, I try to continue to engage um, and, and hope that I catch her on a good day rather than um, in the same way that my mother disowned me for being gay and then it took us a long time to figure out how to have a relationship with each other, but it requires immense amount of compromise in both of us. Um, I highly encourage people to not disown their parents or disown those who don't share the same beliefs as them um, so that you don't become further trapped in a bubble or echo chamber of what you believe in or feeling your own values reflected in your immediate circle. And while that is uh, a, a source of safety and comfort, and I do believe that protection is necessary, I also believe in knowing what, quote unquote, the other side has to say and rather than isolate ourselves from them, to engage. And it takes an immense amount of patience or a cocktail in hand or um, a, a well-timed workout right after or before for some endorphins or I don't, any, whatever you need to do for your mental well-being, um, please do that. But I think to engage is more important than not, especially in this time where we are less than 100 days out from the election. And rather than please don't follow me if or I will cancel you if um, I'd rather us try to lend the generosity and find some common ground and 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 it can be found there even if uh, like in my mother it it will not seem like that um, that can be retained long term or or fully applied in the everyday um, maybe some part of it gets through and um, her vote for Trump won't matter in California anyway, so I will, I will assuage myself with that. Or my vote will always balance hers out. And we, there, there is the definition of balance in the universe, um, in one family. Daniel, thank you so much for spending time with us and for having a drink with us and for showing us your favorite programs. That was very special. Um, plug anything that you need to plug, and let our viewers and our listeners know. What are you doing next? Because you're like the busiest person in quarantine, I think. Well, thank you for saying that. Inside of it, I don't feel that way. But thank you. Um, I'm at www.danielkisaac.com. That's I-S-A-A-C. And um, at Daniel K. Isaac on Instagram and Twitter. So I'll be posting whatever is coming up. But look out for things on Mai Studios. And... Um, there's five seasons or four and a half seasons of Billions if you want to binge 55 episodes. That's 55 hours of escape with some of your favorite New York theater actors <laughs> amazing guest starring roles. And um, I also love this show, The Other Two, that I did on Comedy Central. And the first season of that is available to binge as well. So um, 
I point to those things. And if anyone has Quibi, I'll have a Quibi series coming out in the fall or guesting on one of those. But I don't know who has Quibi, but save your free trial for the fall whenever this show comes out. Jose, oh my God, you can explain to Jose what Quibi is because he still does not know. I don't know. I don't know what a TikTok is. All I know is that the president is trying to shut it down. So those all sound like made up words to me, but you know. Quibi is quick bites. And that just always makes me laugh that quick bites as a TV show. And the same that I'm sure podcasts or audible books are struggling because people aren't commuting. I think Quibi has massively been hurt by the lack of commutes, but. We'll see if they can rally people to all the stories that they've called there and produced because it was an access point that allowed for other storytelling to happen that, you know, the traditional networks weren't doing. So I'm going to root for the underdog <laughs> and see what happens. Wait, what's a Quibi show that you're doing? It is called The Expecting. And it is uh, directed by Mary Heron, who directed um, American, American Psycho. Yes, which, like, I don't, you know, I'm sure there are many examples to sexism in the industry I can point to, and I don't mean to speak for her, and it's not that she's ever said this, but if I look at someone who directed American Psycho, they should have directed so many other movies that are of that canon and of that cult popularity and blockbuster standard, and I, she has a great resume, but it should be better. And I can, I, I will stand as a cis male and say that's sexism and unfair. And I had an amazing time working with her and all the more reason that I would love to support that um, quick bite show, The Expecting, directed by Mary Heron, whom I love and geeked out on a theater podcast last minute. So <laughs> are you wearing clothes in that show or is it like Christian Bale in the, the opening <laughs> sequence of American Psycho? I am fully clothed in that right. show. I am naked in a web series called Mercy Mistress about a Chinese-American dominatrix, which is also a random plug for a web series to throw out. Wow, um, you wait to the last minute of the show to like plug your EDSM web series? Nudity doesn't bother me, and I think sex positivity, if you can't tell, is a very important um, a thing I'd love to spread, and so... Uh, that show is amazing. I only remembered it now because someone with a foot fetish account reposted a clip um, and tagged me. And I thought, oh, that I really loved working on that web series. I hope that there's something else to binge watch during this time of quarantine. <laughs> so we have Daniel all the time during quarantine. So thank you once again, Daniel. Thank and you. we'll either see you on Zoom or in the theater soon. Perfect. We'll have another happy hour soon. I, but we love people bearing it all during this time. You know, we yeah. feel, it makes us feel so close. Like we're all friends. We're all in this event together. Even if we're separate, we are emotionally together. Yeah. Don't say that because like if someone hears you, they're going to like ask us to be on Broadway Bears next year. <laughs> I support you. Going back to the gym to get ready for Broadway Bears. You want to send me back to the gym? There's like freaking COVID at the gym. <laughs> Did you see? Wait, where is the gym supposed to open like Monday? Uh, yes, it, after they've been inspected. They're they haven't had time open. to inspect all the gyms yet. Can you imagine when they go see the locker room at 
like everything basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotta be fat no, forever. No, you're not, you're you've gotten so skinny. That's because I don't get hungry uh, when it's so hot. Yeah, and I don't get hungry when I'm depressed. So, yes, we're all gay, getting to our goal weight during quarantine, whether we want to or not. And if this ends, double it. <laughs> <laughs> Carbs for days, and we're outside again. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, Speaking of doing things together, here's something you can do with other people. Do you want to tell them about how they can join our Patreon? Oh, I thought you meant our sex podcast. <laughs> <laughs> our sex therapy podcast. Uh, sure. So we love all the support that you give us, and we love when you share stuff. And, you know, I mean, we love all of you, basically. Did you see how cool it is? For example... All of you who are patrons and patron get your own credit at the end of the video, like a movie. And it's like the coolest, like, you know, yeah, credit sequence of all time. It's like, oh my God, I'm like, oh, that person. I'm like, oh my God, that person. Anyway, like we are the, the least cool people in all the thing. So, you know, like you can give us a buck, give us five bucks, give us 10 bucks, whatever you want. And we send you goodies every week. And we send you a newsletter, and we send you Q&As that you don't get to see or listen to. And we, what else do we give them? I mean, we know that you don't really care about what we give you, because you uh, know that we're doing work that means a lot to people like you. Okay, now it's not like Big Bird. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, we're doing all this for you, and we want to make all of you proud. And, you know, tell us what you want us to discuss and invite us to your shows all over the country. Yes. That's been the great thing about doing this podcast with you is like getting to talk about shows like shows in Texas and shows in Oregon. And there's going to be even more shows because we're going to be inside for the foreseeable future. So invite us to all the shows. And I'm really hoping right now, actually, like if someone wants to do a show in Astoria Park or some park in Queens, that's like going to take me an hour to get to, let me know. I will go. Maybe I'll write about it. I'll do my one-man version of Evita just for you. By the pool. <laughs> on the fire escape. On your fire escape. <laughs> that shit looks like shady. Like, I'm not going to climb in there. <laughs> yeah, so thank you for supporting us. And for, uh, you know, let us know what you like, us or what you don't like. And make your money, you know, worth it. And, you know, don't forget, we have... Uh, a website, TokenTheaterFriends.com, where we post articles, interviews, reviews. We, we, we write a lot. We, we do a lot. I, I'm very proud of our writing. I think it's some of the best writing e- either of us have done yet. And uh, what else? Uh, oh, uh, don't forget to review and rate the podcast. Uh, so it goes up in the iTunes algorithm. And uh, anything else you want to say to the people? Hydrate. Eat. Or go hiking, you know? Go hiking and do a play in, like, the middle of the mountains. Yeah. Like, that sounds fun. Yeah. But have fun, and we'll see you next week. All right. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.